In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Lord Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you. And this is something that he says to us today, now, uh, not just 2,000 years ago. Um, In the liturgy, in the Holy Eucharist, uh, we stand for the reading of the gospel. And, and And it's also why we often, though not during a pandemic, have a procession into the midst of the nave because what's happening is Jesus is coming into our midst and speaking to us. And today he says, abide in me. Abide in me. It's been said that Christianity is Christ. And that's no oversimplification. Uh, That's no overstatement. For the Christian life is participation, a sharing in the life of Jesus, who is the vine that gives life to the branches. He supplies them with nourishment and enables them to bear fruit. The telltale sign of a life in Christ is fruit. Again, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And what are these fruits? Of course, it's not literal fruit. That'd be kind of weird. The fruits which we bear are virtue, are good works. It's a transformation into the likeness of Christ. It's deeper union with God. It's the carrying out of the Great Commission. It's a ministry. Fruit is what we say and do, which demonstrates, represents who we are. What does Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. What you say is an indicator of of who you are. And also our Lord says in the Gospel of Matthew, ye shall know them by their fruits. It says a bad tree can't produce bad fruit. I mean, good fruit. A good tree can't bring forth bad fruit. So when we abide in Christ, we bring forth fruit. And the foremost flavor, if you will, of the fruit of the Spirit, which it's, it's one fruit, the language, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it's one fruit. It's singular. It's not plural. The foremost flavor, then, is love. And love for God and others, and if you would notice in the the second reading today, the two are inextricably linked. You, You cannot love God and hate others, particularly, and the focus is in the first epistle of John, it's your brothers and sisters in Christ, first and foremost. love for God and others is the mark. It's, it's the sign, if you will, that we are abiding in Christ, that we are indeed connected to the vine. Again, 1 John, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. The Apostle John, in today's uh, second reading, he gives three markers of the one who abides or, or dwells in, in God. 
There's a sense of remaining, of dwelling. The first marker is the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the activity of the Holy Spirit in the one who is abiding in Christ. Of course, we have, when we come to Christ and we are baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that indwells us corporately as the body of Christ. There's the activity of the Holy Spirit, and namely that we are walking in accordance with the Spirit. Second is the confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, which is a no-brainer. If you're, it'd be hard to abide in Christ if you deny that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. The other marker that John gives, third and finally, is love. It's really what our second reading was all about, was the love of God, and particularly love for others. So the gift of the Holy Spirit, the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, and love for God and others. And these three characteristics or, or marks of the true Christian are interrelated. They're interrelated. Because as St. Paul writes, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And it is in the crucified and risen Jesus whom we confess that the love of God is most clearly seen. Going back to chapter 3, by this we know love, that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. In today's first reading, one of my favorite stories, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, as a boy reading scripture, just an amazing story because at the end, the Spirit of the Lord uh, makes uh, Deacon Philip disappear and he finds himself way down the road at Azotus. And just amazing sort of stuff that, that captivates you as, as a young boy and even still today. Uh, Philip uh, was a deacon. He was actually one of the first uh, deacons. He was among the seven chosen in Acts chapter 6 uh, to assist the apostles and as we look at Philip, you might be asking, okay, what's the connection between Acts chapter 8 and the rest of the lessons? I think one of them is, is that Philip is a living, breathing icon of one who is abiding in Christ and bearing much fruit. So an angel of the Lord tells Philip to go out into this wilderness road he doesn't seem to know why at first, but on that wilderness road, he encounters uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, this high-ranking official who's in charge of uh, the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. He's in charge of her treasury. And he sees him reading the prophet Isaiah. Then, then notice the text. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. Again, what does John say? By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Philip is a man who is walking in the spirit. He's certainly a man of prayer. He's a sheep who knows the voice of the shepherd. Also, Philip knows the scriptures. 
He doesn't say to the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? Uh, and then he says, I love this, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? Philip doesn't say, well, your guess is as good as mine. No, he, he helps him understand. He, he proclaims the gospel to him, how Isaiah is, is speaking of Jesus. And, and this too, this knowing the scriptures, and not in just some left-brain, academic, ivory tower way, but knowing the scriptures, abiding in them. This is also a mark of abiding in Christ. And it's, it's not just a mark of abiding in Christ, it's simultaneously the means to abiding in Christ, of coming into deeper union with our Lord. Also, we see, we see the fruit of Philip's ministry. He's, he's bearing fruit because what happens? He leads the Ethiopian to Jesus. He baptizes him on the side of the road. Christ is saying to us today, abide in me. But how do we do that? How do we, how do we, how do we cultivate it? In other words, what is the stuff of abiding? What, what does it look like in everyday, la everyday life? Well, I know of no better place than six chapters earlier from our um, first reading, Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The first is the apostles' teaching. We, we've seen it in Philip. We see it in the very words of Jesus that a life in Christ is a life in the Scriptures. Knowing them, yes, meditating upon them, praying them, obeying them. John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's an inextricable link between love for God, knowledge of His Word, and obedience to His Word. John 15, today's gospel. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask whatever ye will and it shall be done unto you. And then John 17, and this is where it comes in specifically as the means uh, to uh, a deeper union with Christ and abiding in him and becoming more and more transformed into his likeness. Jesus, his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, sanctify them. That is, set them apart. Make them holy as you are holy. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's the prayer that our Lord pr prayed for us to the Father just before he was crucified. Thus again, a life in the scriptures is a mark of abiding in Christ and it is also a means to deeper union with the vine. It's a way in which we encounter the living Christ and are transformed. Second is the fellowship. And this is, of course, in Acts chapter 2, is speaking of the church. This is interesting. When, when Jesus says, notice he says, not just I am the vine, but I am the true vine. So I am the true vine as opposed to false or bogus vines. Well, what is he getting at? Well, he's saying that I am the true Israel. In me consists 
the true people of God. Because the, meta, the metaphor of the vine, it's helpful to understand this, this, this metaphor of the vine is, is not a pedagogical innovation on the part of Jesus here in John 15. He's not just reaching for it out of nowhere. It's not novel, but it's an ancient uh, Jewish image for the people of God. One example, Psalm 80. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest a room before it and didst cause it to take deep root and fill the land. There is then this strict identification, if you will, between Christ and the church, which is the renewed Israel. For the church is what? The church is the body of Christ. Thus, the idea, and I'm preaching to the choir because you all are here and engaged, but, this, but our cult, it's, it's countercultural, which is obsessed with this rabid individualism. So the idea, biblically, scripturally, theologically, whatever sort of term you want to use, the idea of abiding in Christ apart from the church, and think about how that would impact your ability to love your brothers and sisters in Christ if you're just over here in isolation by yourself. But the idea of being an, an atomized individual Christian is, is absurd. The ancient church actually had a, a saying, it, we think it originated with Tertullian, who lived in the second and third centuries. He said, Unus Christianus, nullus Christianus. One Christian is no Christian. And this brings us to the breaking of bread, which the language is, of course, sacramental. It is in the church that we find the means of grace, that we find the sacraments. And Jesus himself earlier in this very same gospel, overtly links the sacrament of his body and blood with this concept of abiding and dwelling and remaining in Christ. John 6, 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and, drink my, and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. The metaphor of the vine, then, is not only ecclesiological, big word for pertaining to the church, the ecclesia, the, the assembly of the people of God, and assembled for what? Assembled for worship. But it's also Eucharistic. It's sacramental. Think about it. Vine, branches, fruit, grapes, wine, blood. The true vine, which is Jesus Christ our Lord, hung upon a vine, a tree, giving life by his own life to the branches, giving nourishment, giving himself. Finally, uh, the prayers, and this, this is not an exhaustive list, but the, these are, I think, very important and crucial ways of abiding in Christ. The prayers. There is liturgical prayer, of course, which I think with the definite article, the prayers, they were speaking about specific prayer in Acts chapter 2. 
So in our case, you know, the daily office is, is foundational for a life of prayer. It's important. It, it fuels our devotion as, for example, we meditate throughout the day upon the Psalms, upon the Scripture readings, upon uh, we adore God in our, our devotion and going about our daily life uh, for who He is and what He's done for us. Uh, but we do have to realize it's, it's not the whole of prayer, that daily times of fixed prayer are an integral and foundational part uh, to a life of prayer. For we are to do the impossible, which is to pray without ceasing, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. How are you doing on that? But one way that we begin to do this is first changing and redefining our understanding of prayer according to the Holy Scriptures, which is this, this lifting up of the heart, lifting up of the self to God. And it, it can begin this life of prayer by living the whole of our lives before God and for God, that is, to His glory. So, for example... How different, and as I ask you these questions, please realize, as always, my sermon, this might sound narcissistic, but it's always first and foremost preached to myself. The questions I'm also asking myself. But how different would your life be if you kept in the forefront of your mind that God sees all, that your life, objectively speaking, is lived before the Lord? What would happen if you, were, if you were conscious of the fact that God sees all, the conscious of the fact that you're in his presence? And, and don't take that, please. Don't take that as God as a cosmic school principal looking to send you to the detention, eternal detention when you, when you step out of line. It's rather this awareness that God is always with you. And that you are, as a Christian, an ambassador, a representative of his kingdom. What does Jesus say? The world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Moreover, how different would your life be if everything you did, interacting with your family and your friends, doing your job, uh, mowing the lawn. I mean, maybe think of the most mundane thing. What if you were to see that, everything you do, as an opportunity to offer it back in praise and thanksgiving to Almighty God as an act of worship? Um, how much meaning would be imbued to the seemingly mundane if you were always with God. Because you are. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Jesus is the true vine. 
He is the source of all life and goodness. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So let us abide in him, remain in him, dwell with and in him by remaining in the scriptures, remaining in the church, the body of Christ, remaining in grace, making regular use of the sacraments, growing in prayer, just taking that small step of what would it look like if today I lived my life consciously before God and I was aware of his presence, that no matter where I go, he is, and that he loves me and he's for me and he wants me to know him and I I, him. It's about taking advantage of what we have. We have everything we need for life and godliness. So let us come to know him more and more as we meet him in the places that he has given us to meet him, knowing that as we abide in him, we will bring forth much fruit, being transformed into his likeness and and be used by him to transform the world around us. Our Lord says, abide in me. May we say back this morning with all that we are and all our brokenness, and all our shortcomings, say, Lord, yes, abide in me, and I in you. Amen.